0: morning I want to say a happy new year to everybody today happy new year. it's great uh, to be together I actually really miss uh, a lot of us today and uh, just it's just great to be uh, back together I know that uh, it's kind of like the last weekend of traveling and uh, we have a lot of special guests uh, visiting with us uh, today as well uh, but I do want to just uh, foremost uh, want to say goodbye to the Zeno family it's sad to see you guys go but uh, it's a good thing is that it's just right down the street uh, to the South Bay. Uh, I want to welcome back uh, Um Let me get Chifeng to stand on up. Chifeng, uh, DeLuca visited um, China for the last few weeks. Uh, her mother passed away, and Chifeng went back there and, and really took care of the family. We all miss you, and uh, it's great to have you back. Uh, we've been taking care of Dave. Dave. Uh, uh, you can have him back. Uh, we're, uh, we're happy that you're back. His day was kind of getting weird on us a little bit there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's good. It's been a little bit too long, Chi-Fung. I want to welcome also some very special guests from all around the world. Uh, our fellowship is around the world, and it's just great during the holidays because we get to meet uh, some of you guys from the United States. I want to welcome uh, Angela Perry. She's a women's ministry leader in New York, so let me uh, welcome her. Welcome. How long are you staying? Oh, okay, two weeks. It's, you know, it's still cold there. If you want to stay a little bit longer, it's okay. Um, welcome, Angela. And then also I want to welcome uh, the Seta family from uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Let me get them to stand on up. Are they around here somewhere, or are they... Oh, they're back there, okay. And uh, Monique and uh, her two sons are going to be... Uh, well, Monique's going to go back to Kenya, but her two sons are going to be going to school here, and uh, Leslie's going to be going to Otis College. Uh, Hanley's there. So, Hanley, you got a friend, a brother? And then Tony's going to be going to uh, Florida Tech, right? Yes, yes, Florida Tech. So, um, welcome, and uh, we're excited that you're here with us today. Also, we have a lot of friends from throughout the whole church, and some of our dear friends from uh, another country, Palos Verdes, uh, <laughs> up in the hill country. Uh, they're here with us today, and the Blinkos, we love you guys. Uh, welcome. And then, uh, got some great friends from Orange County, and just throughout the whole L.A. area as well. As Mark mentioned, we have a couple of announcements before we get started. Um, We're kicking things off for 2015, and throughout the whole week, and next week, we're going to have different workshops and different kickoffs. Uh, For the family ministry, uh, it's going to be January the 18th, two Sundays from today. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have the first part of the service in the morning. It'll be a truncated service, and then the family ministry will stay behind uh, for lunch, and then uh, we'll, we'll do our workshop I know that the singles are having their workshop on the 7th, and in the campus, still some of the campus are coming back as well. But as Mark mentioned, next um, Wednesday night we're going to be meeting together as the Westside Church, and uh, that's going to be at the uh, Senior Center. Um, and we have some fellowship at the beginning, then we'll meet together uh, around 7:30, uh, and uh, we'll end around 9 o'clock. I don't know about you, I love the holiday season. But there's a little bit of ambivalence uh, ambivalence, uh, with the holiday season as well. So there's part of me that's really happy that it's over. How many of you guys feel that way? I feel that way. I I really, really feel that way. There's the joy and happiness of gifts and getting a little break. But then then the other side of it is just the hectic of the schedule and and the the gifts and the the traffic and stuff like that. So for for me, there's ambivalence. Um, in, in the holidays. And the new year, you know, come in and you think about what happened in 2014 and I'm 48, I'm getting a little bit older, some of my friends are dying. You know, I had a coworker from my previous job that passed away and there's a little bit of a melancholy too, isn't there? And then there's the excitement of 2015 that you think about and then there's this song. It's a haunting song. It's, a, it's by John Lennon. I will. You, you, really, you really you really, want to start 2015 that way? Um, I don't think so. Uh, it, it is a catchy tune, though, right? And so this is Christmas. That's about it. Uh, but this next part always gets me. He says, and what have you done? You ever think about this song? He wrote this song in 1971, and it was part of the counter-cultural... Theme that he and Yoko Ono, his, his new wife at that time, was really protesting against the world. What was going on around the world as they saw the world? And they wrote this song to, to really, you know, to, to prick the conscience of, of people in the United States and throughout the world. It was kind of like the, the, the heights almost. It was a little bit of a downturn in the Vietnam War. And John Lennon wanted to, to prick the conscience of people, the policymakers, And he says, what have you done? Another year over, and a new one has just begun. And so this is Christmas, and I hope you have fun. The near and the dear ones, the old and the young, a very merry Christmas and a happy new year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. I love that song, because it really does capture in so many ways the different feelings that I have uh, during the holiday season. And as we look forward to 2015, I want us to, transform ourselves and you know to the end of 2015 and to answer that question and this is Christmas and what have we done and I really want us to really have a great 2015 a year that we can look back and we can say look we've done a lot we've done a lot in our church we've done a lot to help one another we've done a lot in our community and we've done a lot to really uh, make a difference uh, for this world. In so many ways, we are the counter-revolutionaries of our days. We are the ultimate counter-revolutionaries of our day. We are here, as Jesus did, to change the world. So here at the beginning of 2015, I want us to think about the opportunity that we have, the opportunity to make a difference. You know, Lennon is known as a great humanist, right? He wrote these songs that are very touching, very moving to to convey the the sentiment of his day. You know, imagine. Imagine a world where there is no war. Imagine a world where there is peace. And yet, when I think about the thoughts that he had, however great they are, the solution is lacking. The solution is lacking. And hence, the frustration that he must have felt uh, when he looked at the world. And ironically, he himself suffered uh, a death from a violent... Uh, uh, um, uh, he was murdered by, by someone. You know, 2015. I want us to think about this. And there is a burden that we carry. It's not like 2015, and you know, I'm looking at 2015. Go, you know how many pounds I want to lose? Which is one of them. And you know, is it what I want to do? I want to get back into grad school. I want to take a few classes. Uh, I want to get things ready. Those things are great. But as disciples, as Christians, we carry an extra burden if you know what I'm talking about. We have this, this voice in the back of our mind saying, what are we going to do? You know, what have we done? What are we going to do to really build up this community that God has given us? And Paul certainly felt like that. As he wrote in Second Corinthians chapter 4, he says, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry that we all are part of, We do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We deal with ourselves first. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know, what was Paul talking about? He says, listen, I have this ministry that God has given me. I feel this burden that God has given me. And God's going to hold me accountable for this ministry that he's given me. And I need it to be commended by him. And my conscience is locked on to what he thinks about me. You know, foremost, as we start 2015, that's the number one issue. It's really, that's the number one person that we want to really think about when we want to ask say, how was my year what do i what do you think about how i've lived this year and Paul understood that he says in the sight of god he says i got to get that one right first he says but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all this surpassing power is from god and not from us then he goes on he says yeah but i got this body i got this great vision for what I want to accomplish, this great goal that God has put in my heart, but i got this body to contend with. You know, another year's over, and, you know, a few more pounds perhaps, you know, like like what Mark was talking about, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm 48 now, you know, I play football, I'm looking at, you know, some of the guys that we played football with, and I'm still healing from that time two months ago. I'm not kidding, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. It's like some of the hits that some of the teens gave, low hits, um, I'm still feeling the effects of that. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, listen, we got this great vision, but there's life. And I'm trapped by this body in the limits of this body. He says, I want to do these great things, but I feel limited in this jar of clay. But he goes, ah, but that happens so that I don't rely on myself, but I rely on God. We are hard-pressed on every side. But not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I appreciate the Miller's communion so much, don't you think? Christianity is not this smooth sailing, oh my gosh, I got married in the church and, you know, I thought that this was going to be bliss like every day. Nope, 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 nope. You know, I'm in high school. I'm a Christian now. You know, I got, I, I should be like sailing through this. No, you, you know, campus high school You're going back tomorrow, you're going to face some struggles. You're going to be intimidated. You're going to feel the burden on campus. You're going to feel like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. But you're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that life, the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul says, i figured it out. As I get older, my body wears down. And I'm very limited in so many ways. But that happens so that I not rely on myself, which is, even though I have the best body in the world, it's a fraction of what God can do. So I rely on God. I put my trust in God. And he uses analogy, you know, this analogy of carrying Jesus' body on him as of a burden. And if you do the history of this, what's he referring to? I think he's referring to this. There was a book by Virgil. He's a Roman poet, and he wrote this great, book, you know, poem, the Ionid. And um, and he says this is he was talking about a king that conquered this land, and one of the ways that he tortured these people uh, to, you know, commute a, a death sentence to these guys, was that he even tied corpses to living bodies. Like if you were a criminal or if he wants to punish you, this king would tie you down with a dead body to to execute you, basically. Because the disease and, and stuff, the decomposing body, the, you know, all that stuff, you, you know what I mean. I mean, it just it kills you. He says, uh, according to this, the, the, the I need in book 8, book 7, he says he even tied corpses to living bodies as a means of torture, placing hand by hand, face by face, so killing by a lingering death. I love this line. It says, in that wretched embrace. So this king would do that to torture people, and this is what Paul probably is referring to. He said that we as Christians are tied down with the body of Christ. We have that burden. But here's the difference. That these bodies are decomposing, but the body of Christ is what gives us life. It's that body. The difference is that the body of Christ gives us the power that is not a burden, but is actually the source of our strength. He continues, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, another year has gone by, and a new year has just begun. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day day. That's the life of a Christian. It's not stagnant. It's not static. It's, it's, it's dynamic. It's moving. It's powerful. It's changing. And it's exciting. What, what's going to happen this year? Last year's done. For our line of momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. West Side Church, 2015. We gotta fix our eyes on who? Jesus, amen? amen? What does that mean? That sounds so religious. His words, his thoughts, his attitudes. No man has changed the world more than Jesus. No man. And that's who we follow. We're not talking about, and no disrespect, we're not talking about a song that wishes world peace or, or a sentiment that goes, you know, I wish, imagine. We're talking about the real deal here. And we have the power to share in that. You know, Paul understood it. That's what made Paul powerful. He understood who he was. He wasn't just like, man, another year, Man, I'm just walking around. He understood the power that was given to him. You know what uh, Kipling wrote um, a poem? He says, If you can talk to crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. This is part of his poem, If. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count uh, with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is forever more uh, you will be a man or a daughter, a woman, my son. He understood the value of the unforgiving minutes. Understanding what God has given us. The unforgiving year. It's going to keep on going. There's no time out. You know, I mean, the holidays, in some ways, it's a little bit of a time out to reflect. But really, it just keeps on going. I'm shocked at how fast time flies by. I don't know about you. It's just quick. I look at some pictures of Gabby over the, you know, over the, the holiday when she was born. Now she's walking around telling me what to do. And it's like fast. It's quick. Nicole's going to graduate from high school this year. You know, we're thinking about some of the milestones in 2000. Uh, 15. Elizabeth's going to be a junior uh, in college. I'm like, man, looking around, a junior in college? Who? Elizabeth! My Elizabeth? Yes! It's fast. It's good and it's bad. It's good because, to be honest with you, this world, it's it's temporary. It's good, It's not all that great, to be honest with you. The suffering and the, you know, all that stuff, we have something forward to look forward to, something great. You know, he says, listen, if, and I don't agree with all this stuff, you know, but, you know, it's, 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 he says with 60 seconds, if you can fill that with a distance run, if you can really make that 60 seconds worth it, or a year, or a month, whatever that may be, he says, go for it. Go for it. Live life. You know, the title of our lesson today is 2015, Westside Church, A Transformative Year. Did I spell that right? Yep, yep. Did it this morning. I'm just kidding. You know, A Transformative Year. What does that mean? We went through a lot in the last two years, good and bad. We've learned some great lessons. We made some great changes. We thought about a lot of different ideas, concepts. That's great. It's time to put them into action. You know, Lena and I took a break and just thinking through the year, thinking about the theme for the year, and we were just kicking out some titles we're not going to use, just for fun. You know, one that has no conviction, we were going to think about the year of living vicariously. (laughs) Just kidding. Living through someone else. We thought about the year of doing something. Not very inspiring, huh? is a transformative year. This needs to be a transformative year. It needs to be a year that we put all those things that we've learned together, all those things that we've learned individually, and then really glorify God. We're going to learn from, uh, basically, Luke 18. We're going to look at the lives or the ideals or the ideas of three people that uh, Jesus uh, taught in Luke 18. Number one, how we can achieve this is we're going to learn from this, the tenacity of this one woman. Martin Luther King Day is coming up in about two weeks. And we lived through, in my generation and all of us here as well, we went through also a revolution, most of us, not, not a lot, not the younger generation. We're, we're going through the residual of the civil rights movement. And that cost a lot of people their lives, and it cost a lot of people a lot of pain to get to where we are at today. And contribution from various people, obviously Martin Luther King, and, and different people that really suffered. March, there's a new movie coming out, uh, really detailing the, the history behind Selma, the March. And uh, there's this one woman that I've always admired, and she's just this little old lady named Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks was sitting on a bus one day, And, you know, she wasn't the only one, or the first one even, but it just happened that history chose her. Um, She was sitting in the blacks only. It wasn't even in the whites area. But what happened was that in the whites area it was filled, and the bus driver says, can you give your seat to this woman? And she said, no. And she sat there, and she was hauled away, and all that stuff, and the rest became history. But here's a quote from her. She says, you must never be fearful about what you are doing when it is right. And that's the mugshot of her. She looks pretty smug, to be honest with you. Look at that. She looked pretty confident. You know, this old, old, old lady changed the world. changed the, Changed the course of American history. I chose that because I go, well, it's not about the physique. It's not about the education. It's not about the history it's about the will it's about standing up for something living for something believing in something and putting it on the line jesus says in luke chapter 18 we're going to read we're going to pick up in verse 2 and 3 he says he says in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared god nor cared about what people thought this is a bit of a misanthrope and there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with a plea: "Grant me justice against my adversary." The old lady. Out for justice. Out to make a difference. And she went up against this guy. It was like Arnold Schwarzenegger versus, you know, who, who's an old lady that we can use? <laughs> Never mind. You get the picture, right? I don't want to say. Just kidding. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, he says, even though I don't fear God nor care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and, in this version, attack me. And in another version, it says, so she won't, Wear me out. I like this one. He says, "I don't want her. To, I don't want this old lady to come back and attack me with her purse and her, you know, her her umbrella. And, you know, this woman she's, she's tenacious, they're know, tenacious. And Jesus lifted up this woman, this this idea of this. Who, what, what it's going to take for us to change the world." You know, speaking of the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement, you know, there was this joke that I heard. It was pretty good. He says that our society society has really changed. We used to march to Selma. We used to, you know, do all these things. But now, how do we protest? We have sit-ins. We just sit around. Changed. This woman was tenacious. And Jesus said, listen, we need to become like this to wear down our opposition. It's not going to be one time. We want to affect change. It's not going to be one time. Fail, and then that's it. We have to get up over and over and over again. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's faith. It's faith in a God that wants change just as much as we do, if not more. But somehow, some way he relies on us and he needs us as a conduit, and Jesus says, When It is all over. Will he find faith in this room? Faith. True faith. Earth shaking. Country changing. Community rattling. Change. School upside down. Change. Faith. What does that mean? Faith in the very words that God has put in our In 2 Kings, when uh, the king of Aramaeum surrounded the city, and they were going to an attack, and the servant um, was really getting a little nervous. And when the servant, and we'll pick up in, in 2 Kings 6, and verse 15 to 16, he says, When the servant of the man of God got up, and he went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots that surrounded the city, Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. See, we go back to that idea of really understanding who we are and what we belong to. You know, I hope that we have some great audacious plans for 2015. I think both individually and collectively. We're going to get together and talk about that uh, in our groups. But this is the kind of faith that we need to have. And these are the things that we need to say within ourselves. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You know, she uh, later on in life, she says I've learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. I want to share something. When Lena and I were in Vietnam, I was like 27 years old, 26, 28. And Vietnam at that time in 1995 had just opened up. And I was born in Vietnam. So we moved down to L.A. in 1991 to be part of the Vietnam mission team. And um, we were sent out to Vietnam in 1996, uh, 95. And the country had just opened up. I think Clinton went there in 1994. And we went there and it was still a communist country. And what happened was we would go to the U.S. Embassy to get our visas and stuff like that. And there's a big placard uh, in the U.S. Embassy saying that if you... Um, there's a word. If you proselytize, if you share your faith, if you are here for the very reason of like sharing your faith and preaching the word, and if you go to jail, there is absolutely nothing we can do for you. And every time I go in there, that sign would be like front and center because the country had just opened up. It was still going through a lot of changes. And I remember we were there for three years. And I'll tell you the truth. The first year in Vietnam, for me, was just a year spent in, in fear, just afraid. The police would come into our house and you know, just stir things up, never took anything, just to let us know that, hey, look, we're, we are watching you. And at that time, and one time we were actually locked into our house. They locked us in from the outside. And I remember just being afraid, and I was leading that team at that time. And i got to tell you something, an insight. It is really tiring to act like you're brave. Like I would go to service, I would preach the word. I would, you know, we would try to push the limit a little bit but I would come home and just sweat coming down my shirt and my head. I was, it wasn't just because of the heat. I was just so tired pretending to be brave. And I spent one year living like that. Until one day, I still remember the day, I, said, I can't live like this anymore. And I remember making the decision, whatever happens, happens. And I remember, I mean, it wasn't dumb. It wasn't like, you know, like reckless or anything like that. We made decisions. We moved closer to the airport. Like if anything would happen, Lena would take the kids and fly out. At that time, it was just uh, uh, Elizabeth and just fly out. And, you know, we'll figure it out from there. But I remember it was such a free feeling making that decision. You know, she figured it out. He says, you know, I have learned over the years that when, when, we, made up, when we make up our minds, that we're not going to go back and forth anymore. We're not going to be embarrassed about our Christianity. We're not going to be embarrassed about what Jesus says. We're going to be courageous. There's a peace that's going to transcend our hearts. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be a year of living dangerously, courageously, powerfully. Amen? You know, one, uh, we're going to contrast a little bit and Jesus met this other guy, and he says, One who had been there, he was talking about a man who was in this, this area where he was going to get healed, supposedly when the water stirred. And he's been there for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned what he had been in that condition for a long time, and this, this could be really insensitive of Jesus. Maybe he didn't take one of those, like, classes in college. Or maybe he forgot, you know, to watch a few um, shows on television. He asked him, he says, do you want to get well? And I thought about this, and he goes, you know, the the tone is so important, and we were not there, so we don't know. Jesus could have said, do you want to get well? Or he could have said, do you want to get well? Like just, just, just really empathetically and sympathetically, do you want to get well? But whatever it may be, that question was asked. And I think we need to learn to ask more sympathetically, empathetically. But it needs to be asked. And I think in the last two years, we've gone through a lot. We've learned a lot of principles. We've learned a lot of things about, you know, working together. But that, need, that question needs to be asked a lot more in 2015. How are we doing spiritually? How are we doing? And I think we need to love each other enough to go, listen. How are you? Do you want to get well? We've gotten together about this for ten times already. And it's the same issue. Do we want to get well? Well, what? Well, this guy, his character. And think about this for a second. It's not like some innocuous, like, he was there for 38 years, you know, no big deal. It's a big deal. Why? Somebody had to feed him for 38 years. Somebody had to bring him food for 38 years. Somebody had to to, to bathe him for 38 years. And I don't know if Jesus was just fed up. I don't know if Jesus was like, enough. You know, it's like usually Jesus required a little faith. I don't see any faith here. But Jesus says, pick up your mat and get this space for someone else. The invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. He vacated that space for someone else that needed some help. Guys, the church, is it a hospital? Yes, it is. But if it's a hospital that no one gets better... There's another word for that. It's a hospice, right? It's a bad hospital. If it's a hospital that's like, you know, just just drawing money from the government, you know, it's like the insurance is running out, all that stuff, but the guy's not getting better. need to transfer him somewhere else. Is it a hospital? Yes, it is. But it's also the ministry of war. We're here to affect change, so that when there's a John Lennon that writes songs, says, "Man, where does this gonna come from?" It comes from, really, from God. I think Jesus was just mad at this guy. There was no faith, you know, exemplified here. Jesus says, "Pick up your mat and go." And you know what? He got mad at Jesus. If you read the story down a little bit later on. I think that he got really mad he told the authorities of who Jesus was. And because of that, Jesus was not able to be freely moving around in that region, and he had to go somewhere else. It's the heart. It's the heart. I, I, I want to encourage us in 2015, initiate. Initiate help. Initiate, like, hey, look, this is where I've been at. I need some help. Point number two, the tempering of a middle-aged man. Why a middle-aged man? That's really where the rest, where we go the rest of our lives, is is really right here—the middle age. We figured out some things, and some of us are—you know—I'm middle-aged, and you know we've been around a little bit. We've gotten some ideas, we got some wherewithal, you know, we 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 got some 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 resources, we got some experience. But where we go from here is really crucial. Let me tell you what. Jesus told another story. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. He was making a contract between him and God. He says, "Listen, if I do these things. I'm 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 good, right?" And God says, "No." God says, "No. Being religious is not enough. It's never enough." And let me just be frank with you. Isn't it it's not only not enough. It's kind of ugly, don't you think? Religiousness is ugly. It's doing things without the heart. It's doing things without passion. And even the world can recognize that. Right? It's not just the church. I mean, it's your job. It's like school. If we do things without passion, we are letting the unforgiving minute pass us by. We're wasting it. God didn't give us our lives to, to kind of just go through it. Man, He wants us to live with it and, and live passionately. That word is overused. Passion. It's all the business school, right? Passion. But it underscores something really important. So this guy, prayed for himself. He says, look, look, I'm I'm good. I don't need anything. And Jesus compares him to this other guy. He says that, um, God be merciful to, uh, to me. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, this scripture, I'm glad that there's a follow-up scripture. Because I don't want us to, I don't want to live like this every day, right? Where's Dad? Oh, he's up there beating his breast and you know they pulling out his hair. It's weird, right? It's like, but what is he saying? He's saying that in our hearts, there's got to be that kind of spirit. He says in our hearts, there's got to be that spirit. It's like not just really comparing ourselves and putting down other, disparaging other people, but there's got to be that spirit that says, look, be. What's the difference? The other man's reference point was what other people, particularly. The robbers, the adulterers, and, you know, all those other people. This man's reference point is who? God. Remember, I think we talked about that at the beginning? And Jesus says, this guy, I'm telling you, is justified before God, before the other guy. It's the Spirit's. You know, 2015 has got to be a year where we, we just kind of humble ourselves more. And I'm not talking about, you know, like, master, or like that. I'm talking about in our hearts. Just like, hey, look, tell me. Tell me. What do you think? And having the confidence. That's why we did a little work before, right? It's like, it's God. It's not, it's just, we, we have to find our security in God, right? Then comes this. Like, hey, look. God, I'm telling you, this is where I'm at. Help me out. And God says, I sure will. I sure will. You're good. You're good. The last point as we close out, it's, it's a good little close out to that last scripture. You know? The excitement of a child. I thought about this, because Jesus calls us to be children, and I have one, three years old. Is it obedience? No, it's not. It's not. Gabby wants to obey, but she's testing the boundaries. Is it humility? Yes, but sometimes, you know, no, no, sometimes. But I tell you what, though, this last few weeks, especially with Christmas, I, and, and this is this point might be transitory, it's, uh, it's the excitement of Gabby that, that I learned from this last few weeks. She's so excited. I get up, I'm like, oh, walking around. Yeah, I was like half asleep. She's like waking up and says, woo, it's Christmas, you know. And she wakes up and she gets me going, man. It's better than coffee, you know. It's a lot better than coffee, I tell you. It's just the excitement. There's something about having a little kid around the house. It's tiring, but it's awesome. It's just to see her little eyes, you know, remembering things. And we got to cut back on the TV because we took, I took her to, uh, to Toys R Us. She knows every toy in the store. Every toy. I'm not kidding you. It's like there's a little two foot person walking around showing me all the toys and telling me like which one and which character. It was pretty cool. (laughs) The excitement of a child. Guys, don't lose don't lose that. Don't don't be an old stale. You can be old while being young. And you can be young while being old. Don't don't be old in that sense. Not flexible. You know, it's just, everything's a burden come in the air gets sucked out you know it's like, it's like schlep rock you ever seen schlep rock you, you, some of you guys are too young but some of the older folks are like Schleprock, I haven't heard that in a long time Carol's like schlep rock you know, like schlep rock was a character it was a cartoon character that uh, it's like where I live in the Sunset District in San Francisco um it could be sunny all around, but he had this little cloud that followed him <laughs> wherever he went. <laughs> and go back and Google Slep Rock. I mean, it's like, oh, he's got this whiny voice. always oh, rainy. You know, he's, like, he's just walking around. Everyone's around him is like playing, you know, like playing baseball. He's like, oh, you know, he's walking around. Like, <laughs> just everything's bad, you know? Slep Rock. Don't be a spiritual Slep Rock the excitement of a child. He says, people brought babies to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. You know, we've learned a few things about touch, huh? in the last couple of decades, the importance of touch and humanity, the need for intimacy. When the disciples saw this, they shooed them away. Jesus, uh, this message Bible, Jesus called them back, let these children alone. Don't get between them and me. These children are the kingdom's pride and joy. That excitement that Jesus is talking about. That everything is new, the novelty of things. He says, Don't don't keep these kids from me. Don't get old. Mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Forget about doing great things. You're not going to get in. I'm not going to get in. That's how crucial it is. I thought about this lesson, and it's about change. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm glad you thought about the lesson. Well, it's about change, but it's about growth, too. Right? A lot of times you go, change, and it sounds like a cumbersome thing. But it's about growth. Growth is more, it's like, yeah. You know what's the difference between an older person and a kid? A kid has the potential to change. There's always there's always growth. There's change. There's room to grow. There's room to change. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, there's room. Are we growing? Are we changing? In the NIV, he says, and he said, Truly, I tell you in Matthew 15, uh, 18, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't get old, guys. You know, I appeal to you in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, as we close on out. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. I appreciate Mark. Mark said that, you know, the West is an incredibly giving church. It is. We've gone through some great transition in the last two years. Great transition. Things that we've learned. And we're together. And Lena and I, we always talk about this. It's it's, it's such a great group. It's so giving. We feel totally welcome. We feel totally love. Our mistakes, everything. We we just feel a lot of grace. We feel awesome. This is home. And it puts a lot of pressure on me, good pressure, to really help the West really glorify God, but really help us all to really experience, like what Paul is talking about, the mercies of God, to experience life that is really, really life. He says, do not be conformed to this world. We're counter-revolutionary, counter-cultural. But be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that by the testing, you, me, can discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's have a great 2015. Let's honor God together with our lives. Let's help each other to become the best that we can. Amen? Let's all stand up as we close out in song.